morning, everyone. It is fantastic to be here this morning. My name is David McMinn, and I'm the pastor here, and it's so good to be at worship with you guys. So today is a day of transitions. We're talking about looking forward for our, our, our school students who are looking forward to their next year, moving up another grade, especially those in fifth grade who are going into junior high, those who are in eighth grade who are going into high school, and our high schools are graduating, and they're, they're going to the part of their life. And, and that's really over the next two weeks as I'm sharing a little bit of advice for our graduating students. So this is really for the two of you guys that are graduating today. And the rest of y'all can, can kind of listen in too. So I've got two weeks of advice. So you have to come back next week too, okay? I'm going to make sure you're here next week, hear, hear next week's advice. But we're going to talk about some life lessons. And I did ask people to wear to represent their favorite college. I know I saw some Aggies. Aggies will never miss the chance to represent their university, right? I'm sorry I didn't hear any whoops or anything. <laughs> oh, in baseball, they got beat yesterday. I uh, got some Longhorns, you know, representing. Uh, of course, I'm wearing one of the shirts of my alma mater, which is TCU Horn Frogs, Go Frogs. Uh, and, and what kind of brought on this sermon was a few years ago, I was talking to my friend Megan Danner, uh, many of you know her, and uh, she was really excited because she wanted to share this quote that she was going to use for the theme of her school year, and I just thought it was a brilliant description of what it means to follow Christ and how we are called to follow Christ. When we wear our college shirts, when we have graduated from a university, we represent that university, right? So when I wear the TCU shirt, people judge TCU based on my actions. Now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you think about me, or, but and universities are judged by how their alumni act after they graduate. They have more alumni than they have active students, of course. And so we represent, when we wear these colors, we represent the university that we attended or the university we like to cheer for. And so when I say be the purple, I'm talking about how I represent what it means to be an alumni of TCU. But I think also, as you're going to see in just a second from this quote, when I'm talking about be the purple, how we represent what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So a Roman philosopher was discussing with another philosopher this idea of Romans had uh, an understanding that you didn't want to stick out in a crowd. Everyone was supposed to be stoic. They were supposed to follow the rules. They're a very conservative culture. You know, everyone was supposed to be, you know, not show a lot of emotion. And this, this one philosopher was kind of disagreeing with that. And, and this is what he said. He said, but I wish to be the purple, the small part which is bright and makes the rest appear graceful and beautiful. Why then do you tell me to make myself like the many? And if I do, how shall I be the purple? And now what he's talking about is the elite of that day wore togas, and there was a strip of purple on their togas, pur- purple representing royalty or leadership. And what he's saying is the, the purple... It doesn't stand out and, and like take over everyone's vision and it doesn't get in people's faces, but having that highlight of purple makes the entire toga look better. And in the same way, he wants to stand out and he wants to make those around him more graceful and beautiful. I thought, wow, what a wonderful and incredibly awesome way of looking at our mission as Christians. We are called to be the purple in the toga to make the world around us more graceful and beautiful. We have this love ethic that is the foundation of everything we do, the foundation of how we act and how we live, that it's not just important to have right belief, which is important, but that must lead to right 
action. It's not about being a Christian who is in people's face and be flashy and, and always be a person who's standing in front of others and, and preaching the word and the gospel with words, but to rather be the kind of person who preaches with actions so that you can be the purple in the toga, that you can have right action with your right belief, and you can be the love that this world needs. So first I want to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is one of the scriptures that I think is really common in the Christian world. A lot of people will quote this and say this is one of their favorite verses, or maybe you heard it when you were in youth group, or you read it on a t-shirt, or you've seen it quoted somewhere. So it's going to be familiar to you. This is what it says, verses 1 and 2. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Don't be, or this is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. What is good and pleasing and mature. Faith is more than just a noun describing who you are and what you believe. It is an action. It's what we are. It's how we live. In fact, Jimmy Carter in his book, Carter, says this, To me, faith is not only a noun, but also a verb. In the Christian tradition, the concept of faith has in two interpretive meanings, both implying fidelity. Confidence in God and action based on that belief. Confidence in God and then action based on on that belief. We transform our minds by our relationship with God. That's right belief. And then it has to lead to right action. And what we're about to read here in a minute, Paul is going to describe to us what that right action is. We all have those people in our life who've been the purple for us, the purple in the toga, who've made our life more graceful and beautiful. And I hope most Christians that you encounter and you have encountered have been that way. For me, was, one of them was my college pastor. Her name was Judy Shema, and she was an incredible woman. She was our mother, our mother away from home. And if, if you've gone to college, I went to college eight hours away from home. If you've gone away for college, you've gone away for the military, or you've gone away for any reason, you know you need those moms away from home. Because they love you, and they guide you, and they correct you, and they teach you. But most important, she was with us. And when we made mistakes, she helped us process through them. And when we struggled... She was right there. When we had difficult situations in our life, when friends would lose loved ones, when we would fail a test, she was right there with us and helped us pick up the pieces. She made our life better just by being a part of it. And of course, she taught us about the love of Jesus through her actions and her words. We are called to be the purple. Right belief should lead to right action. We should make just by our very presence those around us better. Is that what you've observed in your life? Do you notice that the people around you are better at work, at school, at home, when you're out in the public, wherever you are? Are you enhancing other people's lives just simply by being there? Because you love them, you care for them, and you treat them with kindness and respect. Now Paul is going to go on and he's going to tell us what this looks like. He's going to tell us how to know God's will and how to live it out in our lives. So skipping ahead to verse 9. Love should be shown without pretending. I don't know about you guys, but this is really difficult for me. 
Love should be shown without pretending. And I'll tell you why it's difficult, because there's difficult people in this world. (laughs) They're just hard to love. But you know the truth is, I'm a difficult person from time to time. And I bet I'm hard to love, that not everybody likes putting up with me. And yet people do it anyway. Love without pretending. So what, what Paul is saying here is even people you don't like, you are called to love them without pretending. You're called to love them without pretending. You're actually truly supposed to care about people. And not just your family, not just the people you like, not just your neighbor that you like, but that neighbor who doesn't mow their yard or the other neighbor who always complains because your grass gets a little too high. You're supposed to love those folks too. People who drive you crazy, you're supposed to love them too. The person at your work who doesn't do their job, doesn't do their job, so you have to work double. When you're doing a project in college, and those people don't do their work, and you have to do their work for them, you're called to love them without pretending. Don't just fake it. You're supposed to truly love them. Hate what is evil and hold on to, or the famous quote of this is, cling to what is good. Now, it says hate what is evil. This could really be taken to interpret to hate evil people, but we're going to go along, and you're going to see that not only we're we not supposed to hate people who are evil, we're supposed to bless them and feed them and give them water when they're thirsty. What it's saying hate what is evil is hate what is evil in our world that causes death and destruction. Don't hate people because they make evil acts, but hate what is evil about our world. And we're called to cling to what is good. Kind of hold on to what is good in our life. It's so easy to focus on the negative, right? It's so easy to list all the things wrong and all the things that we wish were a part of our life. Here Paul is saying cling to what is good. If you want to have right belief that will lead you to right action, if you want to be the purple on the toga and you want to be what is graceful and beautiful, you have to be the kind of positive person that focuses on what is good and not what is bad. That doesn't mean we ignore our problems. We also recognize the blessings in our life. Love each other like the members of your own family. Now, for some of us, that's not very much, right? Because we have kind of dysfunctional families. But we're supposed to love people like we're supposed to love people in our family. What's interesting, Paul changes the verb here from agape, which is godly love that we have from God and then we love other people, to phileo, which is brotherly love. Or sisterly love, family love. And we're supposed to love each other like we are one giant family. Now, I don't need to really talk about that too much. We just spent a whole sermon series on what it means to be part of God's family. But we are supposed to love people outside of our families like they're part of our family. Invite them to your table. I'm such a big believer in this. Eat meals with people. Invite people at work or at school to eat with you. So much transformation, so much relationships happen at the table. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic, be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. We're literally called to be excited because God fills us up with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we go through difficult times. This isn't about being fake. This isn't about if you've got crushing weight on your shoulders to ignore it and just pretend like everything is okay. But we in worship should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be excited about what we're doing because we get to worship the God who created us. The God who made all of this wants to be in relationship with us. That's something to be excited about no matter how difficult our life is. 
Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Be happy in your hope. We've got to celebrate what is good. Stand your ground when you're in trouble. There's going to be times, you see, because oftentimes if we follow Jesus, it's going to put us in opposition to those around us. We're called to be in the world and not of the world. But we have to be in the world. We have to engage people. We have to love them. They will know we are Christians by our love. That doesn't mean ignoring them. It doesn't mean building up a fortress around us and trying to protect what little territory we have and, and try to protect our little Christian world. If we're not where people are hurting, if we're not where people who hate Christians are, and we're not loving them, then how can we ever hope to spread the gospel? I was at a graduation yesterday. Someone shared a beautiful prayer, and then at the end, the, the kid said, in Jesus' name, and people literally stood up and started clapping. And that's wonderful. We should be excited that people pray in Jesus' name. But what's at the bottom of that is people are standing up and cheering because they think that there's some sort of force against us because we're Christians and we're persecuted. When over 70% of America are Christian. It doesn't cost a kid anything to pray in Jesus' name at a graduation in Texas. (laughs) Now, it costs us something to live it because we can say we're Christians all we want, but until we live it in right action and love for people and it costs us something? That's what it's talking about when it's saying stand your ground. Not focus on this conflict. We're going to be in conflict with the world just because we have different values. If you're not in conflict with the world, if people don't dislike you because you're a Christian, then you're maybe not living it right. So We don't have to wait for the world to like us. We're going to love them no matter what. And sometimes because we are called to be prophetic, prophetic, it's going to really tick people off. Yeah, we're called to love them anyways. They're supposed to stand firm. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. You know, we are called to share what we have and help one another. This next part is really stepping on some toes here. When was the last time you welcomed a stranger into your home? We're afraid, right? That if we offer, invite a stranger into our home, they might steal from us or do something worse. And yet Jesus over and over tells us to welcome the stranger as if they are our own family. This ethic is challenging. It pushes us beyond where we're comfortable. It pushes out into the world. And it pushes us into places where there's danger, into places where we might suffer because we choose to follow Jesus correctly. Because we might do something and try to help someone who ends up taking advantage of us. Do it anyway. Don't make the excuse that they may not be a good person or they may take advantage of you. Do it anyways because that's what Christ, that's what Paul is telling us in these scripture. Consider everyone is equal and don't think you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think you're so smart. So we are called no matter what a person is, whether they're rich or poor or middle class or who they are or where we are, we're supposed to treat them all equally and the same with love of Jesus Christ. This Jesus thing is difficult, isn't it? This love ethic, this idea of right action or right belief that leads us to right action of making the world better because we're in it, it's not easy. It's the hardest part about being a Christian. We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about how you are called to live as a Christian in this world today. And then it gets even more difficult. Starting with verse 17. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, be the, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
It is written, revenge belongs to me and I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you'll burn a pile of burning coals on their, upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with what is good. Now, this just echoes what Jesus talks about. In verse 14, I think I skipped over it. It says, bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. So not only are we called to love people we don't like, not only are we called to love the stranger and welcome them to our home, but when we have enemies, when we have people who are actively trying to harm us, we are called not to seek revenge, but to love them. And if they're hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them water and to bless them. Now this is completely opposite of what the world says, right? This is completely opposite. When, we, when someone hurts us, we want revenge, whether that's individually or as a people. We want to destroy our enemies. And Jesus and Paul both say the same thing, that we are called to bless and pray for and feed and give them food. There's a book I read called Lone Survivor, and they made it into a movie too. And it was really fascinating. You have this Navy SEAL, and he's the last one surviving of his team, and he ends up being injured, and by a river, and a Pashtun villager comes and has to make a decision. You see, in that culture, you have the Taliban, you have all these tribes, and sometimes they're at war with each other, and sometimes they're on each other's side, but they're all against the Westerner, right, in this situation. We're the enemy, we're there, we're in their territory. So this Pashtun villager has to decide whether to help this person. This person isn't even a Christian, but this is what living out a Christian looks like. So if the Pashtun villager takes the seal, into his village and gives him right of hospitality. He has to feed him. He has to clothe him. He has to make sure he heals from his wounds, and he has to protect him, which means he would have to protect him against the Taliban. And he decides to do it. And he takes him into his village, and he saves his life. And it's been a while since I've read the book, but I believe that even the village gets attacked, and they, they, they protect this man. That is what Jesus is talking about. That is what Paul is talking about. That's the love ethic that we are called to have for our enemies When it's going to cost us something, when it's going to hurt us, we put their needs before our own. That's what it means to be the purple. Be what is good and gracious in this life. When it costs us something, when we have to put ourselves out there, when we have to love not just those who love us, not just those who don't like us, but even our enemies. Because if we choose to start living by this ethic, if the world starts choosing by this ethic, we can get rid of violence in this world. If we stop the cycle of revenge and hate, that's why Jesus teaches it. Because Jesus sees all of humanity as a family. Jesus forgave not just the Jewish people, his people. He forgave the Gentiles. People that weren't his people. He forgave the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He forgave Pontius Pilate the leader of the Romans, he forgave the Roman emperor. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to hold this violence and revenge against one another. He wants us to bless our enemies, to take care of them, to love them, because he knows that is what will change the world. We begin to live like that. Yesterday I was at my nephew's graduation, and they are the first graduating class of Eaton High School. That's a, that's a heavy responsibility, and speaker after speaker talked about how they were to leave a legacy, 
And that legacy was going to help define the path of that high school and how that high school would be from here on out in the hundreds of graduating classes to the future. What legacy would they leave? That's what we're thinking about here. When we talk about being the purple, about following Jesus, about living our faith in action, not in just in belief, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? I want you to do a little thought uh, experiment this week. Take your journal and write down what you think people would say about you if you were to have your funeral. I know it's a little bit morbid, but what kind of eulogy would people give you based on the life that you've been living? Is that what you want to be known for? Is that the legacy you want to live? And then I want you to take down, after reading this passage again, and write down the kind of legacy, what you would like someone to say about you at your funeral. What kind of legacy do you want to leave when you're not part of this world anymore? What kind of impact do you want to have? We're called to be the purple and the toga, to be what is graceful and beautiful, to live out our faith in action so that the world can know Jesus' love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.